In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing this show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Hello and welcome to The Respectrum. I'm Michael Bloom. And I'm Nathan Seelove. Today we have a super exciting episode. We'll start off by talking about Biden's recent speech um, about Trump and MAGA Republicans and all that stuff that's been firing up a bunch of, uh, you know, hot, heated responses from the right. Um, And then in our second segment, we'll be talking about the recent special election in Alaska, which was decided by uh, ranked choice voting, which we've talked about a little bit on this on this show, and we like to highlight it when it uh, is gaining, you know, as it's gaining prominence in different uh, different areas. And then finally, we're going to be doing something special with a third segment. So last week we had a great, really great conversation after the show, and this is something that happens to us all the time. We stop recording the podcast, and we have a great conversation um, off the air, but for our patrons, we record those conversations in video form, post them to YouTube, and pa- patrons are able to access them um, at any level. So anybody that gives us any amount of money can go in and watch those videos and have those extra nuggets from each of our conversations. Mm-hmm. So for this week, we're going to give you a little teaser, and we're going to throw in that great conversation that we had last week as our third segment so you can get a little bit of taste of what you might be missing if you're not on our Patreon. Um, and if you did want to get access to all of the other, uh, the uh, Perspectrum After Hours, which is what that series is called, um, you can go over to uh, patreon.com slash the Perspectrum, and any amount of money will give us give you access to every one of those videos for all time. Yeah. And also, if you are somebody that's never seen us in real life, you'll get to see what we look like. Yes, yes, you will. Now, that isn't part of this show because... Well, this this is a podcast. Yeah, this is a podcast. Uh, <laughs> but, but but on the no, Patreon, you have to you pay to see that. what we look like. <laughs> yeah, you have you to gotta, pay to see what we look like. Yeah, yeah. If you, you want to see, voices it's like for a free, but you have to pay to see what the we Patreon's look like. basically a peep show. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to see, you got to yeah. pay. Yeah, Michael. Uh, Michael gives the camera a lap dance, so make sure that you um fairly regularly. Ma- make sure that you make sure that you, you don't know that I that you don't know that I don't record. You don't know it's not true. Yeah, unless you're a patron. So that's pretty special. <laughs> Speaking of lap dances, what are the COVID numbers? Really nice. Um, so, <laughs> so worldwide, we've hit 612 12 million total cases, with average daily new cases over the last seven days of 530,000. Now, that might sound like a lot, but it's down nearly 100,000 new cases per day from 628,000 the week before. So that's down 16%. And it's been going down for a few weeks, which is pretty remarkable. Um, in terms of death worldwide, we've hit 6.51 million total deaths with average daily new deaths of 1,639 down about 9% from 1,800 deaths per day last week. In terms of vaccination worldwide, we're exactly where we were at 67.7% of the world's population with one dose. In terms of the United States, we've hit 968 million total cases with average daily new cases of 55,000 
also down 18% from the daily cases the week before, which is at 67,000. In terms of death in the U.S., we've hit 1.073 million deaths, which with average daily deaths over the last seven days of 239, which is down from 271, or down about 12% from the week before. And then in terms of vaccination in the U.S., 79% have one dose, which is about where it was last week, and 67.5% are fully vaccinated, uh, which is up about a tenth of a percent from the week before. So another week of all COVID numbers, you know, all COVID outcomes heading in the right direction. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we might be able to stop doing this at some point. <laughs> Honestly. No. Maybe not until <laughs> maybe not until this is like I mean, maybe in 2024. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when this is like flu level, when we really have yeah. an actual handle on it. Um, yeah, when it's like flu level, maybe. Um, Makes sense. We might get there eventually. Maybe. Hopefully. S- yeah. Speaking of getting there eventually, Biden finally laid it in yeah. to MAGA Republicans. He sure did. Yeah. Um, so on, on September 1st, uh, Biden delivered his like soul of the nation speech at Independence Hall um, in Philadelphia. Um and so for our first time, we wanted to talk about the speech, you know, what we thought about it, stuff like that, and talk about some of the reactions. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, just kind of break it down. Yeah. Classic yeah. Uh, perspectrum <laughs> uh, rhetorical deep dive. Yeah. And I always like these because this is kind of my job, literally, because yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a public speaking professor. So there's definitely a lot that I have to say about it in the context of a public speaking professor. Sure. And then some in the context of being a political commentator as well. So first off, let's go ahead and address the aesthetics of it because I want to get that out of the way because I think it's mostly meaningless. Yeah. But it has been a major subject of conversation. So let's go ahead and address it. First off, the background. (laughs) So here's the thing about the background. Um, For a while, I thought that the whole blood red background thing was just him trying to lay into the whole dark Brandon meme. Mm -hmm. But then I actually saw pictures of Independence Hall kind of zoomed out. And apparently, like, the other sides of the building were blue. Hmm. So it seems to me like he was going for, like, a a patriotic color style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just the only part of the camera that that you could see was the part that was over the red. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So so for people that may not have seen the speech, if you listened to it or didn't watch it at all, like, basically behind Biden, the building is lit up from below with these red lights. And when you're watching him deliver his speech, that's what you see. Him against kind of a red background um yeah. i haven't seen i haven't seen the zoomed out pictures but that's really interesting yeah so hmm. i don't think I, I i thought he might have just been trying to lay into the whole dark brandon thing but i think it might have just been an accident hmm. at this yeah. point because because i mean it makes sense for you to have like you know red and blue colors to symbolize america yeah. and all that but i mean the way that it is set up it does look a little bit ominous. Yeah. I mean, it would it be It would be great if it was red and blue next to each other instead of red. Yeah. But also, exactly. like, if, if you're watching a speech and the thing you criticize is the scenery, 
then it was a good speech. It must have been a good speech. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's the point I'm making. Cause there was, there's been so much conversation about specifically that and very few of the actual criticisms that I've seen have actually targeted specific areas of a speech. Yeah. Most of them are either straw man arguments or just bullshit arguments. Yeah. And yeah. the, the strongest ones that I've seen is, hey, maybe that wasn't the right background. And you know what? Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it as wasn't. A, the thing is, as a, as a speech teacher, what I would advise is that when it comes to the aesthetics of a speech, you want to remove everything that is going to be perceived as noise. Totally. Anything that a person's going to pay attention to instead of you and what you're saying, remove it. All right? Which also means, you know... Remove the Marines from the background. You know, don't mm -hmm. give them don't give them a reason to criticize you for having Marines in the background. You know, don't have a don't have a bunch of colors in the background. Just just stand up there and give the damn speech. You yeah. know, don't don't have anything super distracting that yeah. takes away from the message. I just I also like don't know what I, I, I agree with that, especially in the context of like presidential speech, like do, like have high production value, like make yeah. all the choices that are going to be on the screen. Right. Yeah. Don't just yeah. accidentally have them show up. But, yeah. but at the same time, it's also like, you know, well, if, 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 you know, someone doesn't talk like Hitler, doesn't say anything like Hitler, doesn't advocate of any of Hitler's ideas, but has a red background, he must be Hitler. <laughs> it's like, it's, like, <laughs> it's yeah. just, yeah, just and this is also in the backdrop of the fact that literally in the last week, Donald Trump demanded to be reinstated as the president. Yeah, and Said Biden that he is would... being called Hitler for having a red background. Yeah, exactly. Do you see the problem here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Trump has literally said, "Like, I'm just going to pardon everybody that's been prosecuted yeah. for January 6th." Like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. I mean, how is that not getting more attention? Again, this this goes back to, I mean, this this, this reminds me of the Obama years mm -hmm. when they would be like, oh my God, Obama wore a tan suit. Must be communism. Oh my <laughs> God, Obama saluted a Marine with a coffee cup in his hand. <laughs> like, Must be communism. <laughs> literally, literally things that commentators blasted Obama for. And that just... Yeah reminds me of this like and things that they didn't blast trump for mm -hmm. literally insulting pow's forgetting the names of deceased marines yeah altering a map a hurricane map to cover up the fact that he accidentally said at one point that that the hurricane would hit alabama with yeah. a fucking sharpie yeah with a sharpie i mean yeah it's 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 such it's such a bullshit double standard. Well, yeah, I mean it's it's the both both sides like issue. It's like if you have nothing to criticize, they still have to spend the same amount of airtime criticizing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah. And anyway. that actually that was actually a point that was made, I think, very um, articulately uh, by this one this this one commentator at the uh, Columbia Journalism Review named uh, John um, Alsop. And this kind of brings us more into the substance yeah. because another aesthetic problem that people were criticizing Biden for was that it was too political. Mm -hmm. All right. It was too political and it was political, yeah. but like he's a politician. Um, but anyway, so what this guy said, and I think I, I, I love the way that this guy put it. He said, quote, arguing about whether last night's speech was political 
would have been silly and pedantic in the best of times. Mm. At this fraught moment, it's akin to watching your house catch fire and shouting, wait a minute, is this a house? <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Which brings us into the substance. Yeah, let's get let's talk about it because I have a feeling that, I mean, I didn't even watch this speech before it came onto your radar, Nathan, and then onto my radar. So like... Uh, I would not be surprised if our audience was not fully up to date on exactly the content of the speech. Yeah. So basically what Biden was focusing on was MAGA Republicans being a threat to democracy. So yeah. the argument that he was making was that, and he even, he even very specifically clarified that he wasn't talking about the Republicans. The way that he distinguished them was he said there were MAGA Republicans and there are mainstream Republicans. Yeah. The mainstream Republicans, basically those are people that I have policy disagreements with, but they're not like anti-democratic. They're not the evil people, mm -hmm. you know, uh, but the MAGA Republicans, they're a different set of people. They're not a majority of America. Uh, I believe he also said they're not even a majority of the Republican Party, mm -hmm. but they are people that do believe in the destruction of the U.S. Constitution, the overturning of U.S. democracy, the uh, the filling up of uh, election boards with partisans rather than people that just count votes. Mm -hmm. So how do we feel about that, Michael? So so from my perspective, so I think there's a couple things. I think it's worth at this point, like asking who his intended audience is. Yeah. Um, I think that's like, obviously the, the ultimately who your audience is and whether you have delivered to them the message you intended in the way that they will receive it is like the definition of whether you've delivered a successful speech or not. Yeah. And like, as, as I was thinking about it, um, I think his audience was, Primarily independents and non-MAGA Republicans. So yeah. yes, to use his terms, like the mainstream Republicans. And basically it's like, and the reason I think that is, well, it's kind of all throughout the speech, but also like specifically the fact that he's appeal trying to appeal to Republicans because he does things like refer to the fact that a conservative federal circuit court judge, Michael Luddig, called Trump and extreme MAGA Republicans a clear and present danger to our democracy. Yeah. The kind of evidence that you would cite in order to appeal to other conservatives. Yeah. So it's very clear that his audience is conservative leaning. Yeah. Um, and so then the question is like, okay, if he's talking to conservatives who aren't extreme conservatives, is this like, did he effectively distinguish a group of people that are different from his target audience in a way that they can understand and connect with so that he can deliver to them a message that says, you know, don't turn to the dark side. Yeah. And I don't think he was as successful as he could have been in doing that. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I guess where I come at it is, there's a lot of straw manning of what he said. Sure. And I think that he is drawing the wrong distinction. Yeah. When he says like there's MAGA Republicans and there's mainstream Republicans, I think he's drawing the wrong distinction. Now, he is clearly drawing a distinction. So straw man yeah. arguments like, like Tucker Carlson, 
who straight up said, um, Biden is saying that if you disagree with his policies, you're an enemy of America. Yeah, he's that's explicitly not, he not saying he's that. He said it in that. the speech that that's not what he's like, saying. That, you, that you're anti-democracy. No, no, no. What he's saying is if you tried to overturn a democratic election, you're anti-democracy. That's what he's saying. Yeah. Like, which, like, the proof's in the pudding. So I don't know what yeah, he's exactly. upset about. Exactly. But it's Tucker Carlson. He's a propagandist. He doesn't care about the truth. He never has cared about the truth. He's a very talented propagandist. Mm-hmm. And he knows that if that the MAGA Republicans that watch Tucker Carlson, he knows that they're not going to watch the Biden speech. They're going to hear Tucker Carlson tell them what was in it. And they're going to think that that's what he said. Yeah. Which is not what he said. So in terms of who the distinction should be, like here, here, here's why I have an issue with the separation of MAGA Republican versus mainstream Republican. Mm-hmm. So Michael, um, when we when we think about the way that he's trying to frame it, he's trying to say it's like extremists versus so-called moderate Republicans. Like the moderate yeah. Republicans, they're the good guys. Yeah. All right. But the extremists, the ones that are anti-democratic, they're the bad guys. Mm-hmm. All right. And in order to be an extremist Republican, you have to be anti-democracy. You have to be against uh, the the peaceful transition of power. You have to believe that the election was stolen. Right. Yeah. Right. So. Let's look at the PAC Act. All right, mm-hmm. let's use the PAC Act as a case study. So the PAC Act, remember, that was the that was the bill that was passed that gave billions of dollars to victims of burn pits in the military. Mm-hmm. All right. It was super popular among the general public and it after a major public pressure campaign by John Stewart, it did pass the Senate. Only 11 Republicans voted against it. Right. So if you are in that 11, that group of 11 Republicans that voted against something that was colossally popular, that almost all of your peers voted for, that is such a no brainer as giving health care to people that served our country and and got got sick because of burn pits. Mm -hmm. Like, wouldn't you reasonably say that if you voted against that, you're an extremist? You'd have to be pretty extreme, I think. All right. So what's one of the first when, I, when, I, when we're talking about mainstream anti-Trump Republicans, who's the first senator that you think about, Michael? Probably Mitt Romney. Voted against the PAC Act. Hmm. Interesting. One of 11 Republicans that voted against the PAC Act. Yeah. That is your moderate. Hmm. All right? So the point that I'm trying to make here, and this is a point that is completely fallen by the wayside with all with with most of what I've seen from a lot of mainstream media analyses of this, yeah, is the fact that the distinction is not between the mainstream Republicans and the MAGA Republicans because mm-hmm. you know you know who it was that was able to get the PAC Act to pass. It was Republicans around the country that were seeing their own senators, the ones that they voted for try to fuck over veterans for some stupid political gain. Mm -hmm. And those Republicans called their senators and put so much pressure on them that they had to relent and they had to pass it overwhelmingly. Mm -hmm. So the distinction should be elected Republicans and Republican voters. Now, Mm. maybe there are some, uh, there are some Republican voters that are just too far gone. I'm, I'm sure there are many. All right. But, I don't think that number is insurmountable. 
Hmm. Right. And I think it would have been significantly less, at least it, it would be harder to cast this as a divisive speech. Yeah. If you focused on the elites, all right, the elites are the politicians and the, mm-hmm. the pundits and the commentators and not on just the general voters. Because mm-hmm. look, I know a lot of Republicans who would probably self-identify as MAGA Republicans who also believe that the system is completely corrupt, right? Interesting. That there is, there is corruption, that money in politics leads to corruption, that, um, that corporations have too much power, all of that. Yeah. There are plenty of people that identify themselves as MAGA Republicans that do actually, that are smart enough to know how incredibly corrupt hmm. our system is. Yeah. How we live effectively in an oligarchy. Yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. Um, yeah. So, so it sounds like you would have like reframed the speech to basically focus on. I guess, I guess, yeah, tell me, tell me like what you think your outcome that you would hope to drive with the speech would be by framing it that way. I mean, at the end of the day, the outcome is there are a lot of policy positions. So, so there are a lot of policy positions that he brought up in this speech that are overwhelmingly popular. Yeah. Right. So he talked about abortion, overwhelmingly popular. He talked about the um, the the PAC Act, overwhelmingly popular. He talked about the uh, he, he talked about the Inflation Reduction Act, overwhelmingly popular. So focus it in on those popular pieces of legislation, hmm. and you might be able to get some of those Republicans or independent Republicans or independent leaning Republicans or conservative leaning Republicans. You might be able to get them more on board with a policy vision that kind of it 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 doesn't focus in on the specific people mm-hmm. right it focuses in on a set of policy goals yeah so you're not saying let me tell you all of the ways in which trump is terrible mm-hmm. instead it's let me tell you all of the ways in which the system is corrupt and elected republicans don't even name any names necessarily. Sure. Like you don't even, I don't even think you have to name any names. Just elected Republicans are against this. Every single elected Republican voted against this, which mm-hmm. is popular. Every single elected Republican voted against this, which is incredibly popular. Yeah. So you might not get all Republicans, mm-hmm. but you might be able to get just enough of them that, you know, might have voted for Donald Trump, but also do believe in the need for renegotiating pharmaceutical prices or that believe in the need to uh, invest in green infrastructure or Mm. believe in the need to, um, to raise taxes on the rich and to, to make sure that corporations are not, are are not paying less and sometimes negative rates uh, in their corporate rate by having a corporate minimum tax rate. Because, again, taxing the rich is also incredibly popular even among Republican voters. So mm. go to the places where you agree with those voters, make that the, the, the focus of the speech, and don't, like, don't make it a distinction between the MAGA Republicans and the mainstream Republicans. Make a distinction between the elected Republicans and the, the uh, Republican voters. That's really interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. I feel like... I'm trying to weigh like which one of these things 
um, which one of these strategies I think would be most successful. Cause like, yeah. you know, the, obviously the goal of this is to get people to turn out for the midterms, specifically trying to motivate like yeah. moderate Republicans and independents to vote Democrat. Yeah. Um, and like, I think he's making a bet here essentially with the way that he framed it, which is that, and his bet is that pe- regardless of people's policy, um, positions they will vote to reject trump and magaism and all that stuff yeah in order to preserve democracy so if you make the argument that democracy is the thing on the line yeah and that which i think what he was trying to essentially say was like disagree with me all you want polite disagreements are a principle and respecting each other during those things is a principle of american democracy it's how politics is supposed to work and if we don't reject trumpism and extremism and the maga republicans right now we may never be able to we may never have an opportunity to save our democracy again and that means that we can never have these policy disagreements in the future we'll never be able to express tolerance as a value and a principle and so like so like it on on the one hand, like I think that's a pr- very simple and straightforward message. And according to one um, recent poll from Reuters and Ipsos, fifty eight percent of respondents to the poll, um, including one in four Republicans, said that the "Make America Great Again" movement is a threat to America's mm-hmm. democratic foundations. Yeah, which is like fine. I think that's I think that's fine. <laughs> that's yeah. not. But the, to your point, like a lot of the a lot of the policies that you were just talking about are more popular than 58%. Which he did actually bring up. He did bring up those policies. Yeah. And I guess that's why I think that it's like he got really close Mm -hmm. and he came down, came out just a little bit short. Now, now to be clear, I think at the end of the day, this does more good than bad. This Mm -hmm. speech. I agree. And it's not, it's not because I think that it's going to necessarily appeal to those moderates. It's because he is proudly standing by those policy accomplishments, which is exactly what he needs to do. Mm-hmm. And that's how you motivate Democratic voters to come yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. And you need to energize your base. Right now, yeah. the like because of the overturning of Roe versus Wade, the uh, the energy gap between Democrats and Republicans mm-hmm. is it's razor hot. thin yeah. at this point. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, it's yeah. razor thin at this point. It was there was a huge gap between Republicans and Democrats with Republicans having so much more energy towards the midterms. Mm-hmm. And when that was happening, it was it was a foregone conclusion. Mm-hmm. But when Roe got overturned, that gap just disappeared. Yeah. And Biden needs to keep driving that. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I, so yeah, so I guess like I wonder. Yeah, I guess I wonder like just like how effective this will be at actually reaching people. Because like yeah. I think I think it's just going to be way way harder to turn Republicans that reliably yeah. vote Republican against their House members, against their senators. Yeah. If you like, then it is going to be to mobilize around these policy issues. I think you're right yeah. about that, especially because. As I think a lot of the criticism of this speech focuses on, I honestly think the MAGA Republicans definition, I think you touched on this a little bit, is um, a little bit 
I don't know. It's not the term that I think I probably would have used. Yeah. And if I did use it, I would have defined it way earlier. Like he says, yeah. like his thesis, like Trump, Donald Trump and MAGA Republicans resent an, uh, an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Yeah. Like he says that. And then it takes him like a, a little while to get around to something that sounds like it might be a definition of MAGA Republicans. Yeah. Where he says, MAGA Republicans do not respect the Constitution. They do not believe in the rule of law. They do not recognize the will of the people. But the way he says it is more like, is more like that's what that's what Republicans think, as opposed to saying like, making it clear that like, hey, I'm talking about the people that I'm categorizing as MAGA Republicans are the ones that don't yeah. respect the rule of law, that don't yeah. recognize the will of the people, yeah. so that he can draw a really, really, really bright line. Yeah. An impossible to miss bright line between yeah. now, those threats and normal Republicans, if this is going to be his thesis, because normal yeah. Republicans are his direct audience. Yeah. Now, it is clear that that's what he was trying to do, but he yeah. needed to make it like he needed to hit it a little bit more home to prevent people like Tucker Carlson who are going to take his words out of context sure. and use it for propaganda. Yeah. And also that's, like, that's just what they're going to do. Also like to you and me, we hear MAGA and we are like, yeah. grows. <laughs> yeah. uh, but to a lot of Republicans, they hear MAGA and they're like, Oh, I mean that kind of aligns with my views or like maybe I roll my eyes at the crazy people, but like generally speaking, make America great again makes sense to me. And so like you like, like, call these people like Trump and his insurrectionists or like Trump and his, you know, posse yeah. or like, you know, the kind of thing that's like, these are the people that showed up to overturn the election and yeah. not you voter who is here to, who's worried about that. Yeah. Um, and, and I'd also like to point out if what you're saying is democracy is under threat, mm -hmm. like if that's part of your thesis, I just like to point out, a lot of those so-called mainstream Republicans that you're mm -hmm. talking about... Yeah, didn't protect it. Well, not only did they not protect it, but even before this whole thing with Trump, even as far back as Obama, mm. they were actively trying to make it harder for people to vote. Yeah. Like, they were passing restrictive voter voter ID laws, yeah. which I, I'm going to go ahead and... Let me go ahead and make a, make a statement that might be might sound a little bit bold but mm -hmm. i'll defend it every single republican every single republican actually do you one better anytime anybody's political strategy hmm. inherently relies on making it more difficult for certain certain people to vote they are fascistic mm -hmm. all right if if any part of your campaign strategy is about preventing people, a certain group of people from voting, that is fascistic. Even if it's not direct, it is fascistic. Mm -hmm. All right. And I'm not I'm not saying like if you say if you support, you know, you, you need some type of voter ID in order to vote that, that that's fascistic. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is if you believe in limiting the time that you can register to vote to try to prevent people from voting. If you believe in purging voter rolls, mm -hmm. if you believe in having only a certain set of ballot drop boxes, like ballot drop off locations in specific counties, especially counties that have a high population, but also a high population of Democrats. And you put as many ballot drop boxes in there as, as a, as a, as a county that has like 200 people. Like 
if you if that is part of your your election strategy, that is fa- that is fascistic. Mm-hmm. All right. And mainstream Republicans have supported that since way before Trump ever became a, a legitimate threat or ever ran for president in the first place. All right. Yeah. That was happening in the 2012 election. I mean, hell, that happened to an extent in Florida in 2000. Mm-hmm. All right. So if a political party is relying on making it more difficult to vote as part of their political strategy, that is fascistic. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So to draw this distinction between MAGA Republicans and mainstream Republicans and claim that in order to be a threat to democracy, you have to be like a, a card carrying uh a uh, MAGA sycophant who's storming the Capitol. I mean, yes, they are a threat to, the, to democracy. Yeah. Absolutely, they're a threat to democracy. But so are the people that are trying to say that, it, like, like, like in Texas, that are saying that you can vote with a with with a, a concealed carry permit, but you can't vote with a student ID. <laughs> All right, the people that say that, yeah, they they are also a threat to democracy. Yeah. All right, and you need to recognize that, and you need to point that out. Yeah. I totally agree. I totally agree. And like, I think, I think one other point I had here is, is somewhat aligned with some of the criticism from like the Washington post and a couple of other liberal commentators is like, I think, I think if he had gone with like your direction of the speech, like talking about elected Republicans, you know, corruption, all of the valuable things that elected Democrats have been able to do, fighting hand over fist just to get things passed, like collaborating, emphasizing some of the bills where they've been able to reach bipartisan support with like specific Republicans. Like if that's what you want to do, great. Like if he'd taken that route, I think that would have been a really strong speech. The the way he went, like he, he talked a little bit about like his policy accomplishments, which felt a little bit strange in a speech about threats to democracy. To me, anyway, it was kind of like, in the yeah. in kind of the middle, he talked about like you know all of the stuff that he accomplished, which I think yeah. to your point would would be a good thing to talk about if that yeah. was kind of the point of your speech, but it didn't really support his thesis. Yeah, but I think it could have been a very strong point that he kind of missed, which is essentially like let me talk about all these policy accomplishments, let me talk about things that might actually really resonate with a majority of voters, and then even for the ones that disagree with me so that I'm not alienating them from my core message about democracy, say something about democracy linked back to that. Something like, yeah, if I you agree. disagree with all of the accomplishments that my administration has, has, you know, has delivered, democracy is still the only way to make that a yeah. degris- disagreement possible. It's Vote, still yeah. the thing that you, you know. have to do. It's still the thing that you have to do to reject Trump and these extreme uh, Republicans now. That would have been a good idea. That would like, have been a very good idea. Because to me, that is that's what enables, like, really circumvents a lot of the criticism, which was like, he did all this whole speech about democracy and how you can be a Republican and not be against democracy and be a Republican and support good stuff. And then he went and talked about democratic priorities. And that doesn't yeah. speak, that may not speak to them, yeah. you know? I mean, I think... I think it does because, like, the stuff he talked about was broadly popular. popular. Mm-hmm. Um, one criticism that I read that I actually, I when I first started reading this, I didn't agree with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, then I kind of started, which is the fact that he's if the main thesis of his speech is the whole 
these types of Republicans are a threat to democracy. We need mm-hmm. to stop giving them a platform. What about the fact that there's that strategy by the Democrats to try to uplift them in primaries to try to make their chances of winning mm-hmm. easier? Like, yeah. what about Sean Patrick Maloney's uh, strategy mm-hmm. to do that? And, you know, at first I'm reading that and I was like, well, I mean, but Biden's not the one who's actually doing that. Sure. Like, yeah. why would you say that? But then the person ended the argument by basically saying, if he really wanted to make this like nonpartisan, or if he wanted to try to make it so that it reached out to multiple people, he should have said, like, he should have done all those criticisms of the the MAGA Republicans. He should have talked about the anti-democracy stuff. But he should have also criticized his own party for that strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I agree with that. I actually completely agree with that. I think if he had done that, like, yeah, it might have pissed off some of the party insiders, <laughs> but, you know, fuck them. Yeah. Um, and, and I think if you do criticize your own party for something that is worth criticizing, that's, that is kind of an intellectually dishonest strategy, that that does give you a certain amount of credibility. Now, yeah. I, I, again, I, that's probably not even something that entered his mind, you yeah. know? Um, but I think it's a good point. I think it would have been worth addressing. Yeah. I think that makes sense. So final thoughts on the speech, final thoughts on the speech. I think that it depends on what he was trying to accomplish. Yeah. If he was specifically trying to accomplish reaching out to conservatives, I don't think he accomplishes that. Mm -hmm. But if what he's trying to do is trying to rally the people that support his policy initiatives specifically, which is a majority of the country Mm -hmm. and the people that do not support all of these attempts to overturn democracy, which Mm -hmm. a majority of the country don't, then I think he was successful. Yeah. Uh, Overall, I think he was successful. I think that the aesthetics got in the way, Mm -hmm. should have made a better choice, um, should have, should have thought about that a little bit more. I think there are some moderates and some people that might actually be on your side on a lot of the things that you talk about that might've just, cringed a little bit at that and Mm -hmm. you know couldn't couldn't take their minds off of it which i mean from an intellectual perspective is kind of silly but from a realistic perspective that is going to affect people's view of your speech Mm -hmm. um so the aesthetics weren't great but if what you were trying to do was rally the people that agree with you on those initiatives and agree with you on this and also try to tell them hey you want some more of this Mm -hmm. vote democrats in the midterms yeah all right in that regard i think he he was more successful than not. Yeah. Final thoughts, right. Michael. Yeah. I, th- I think I align with all that. I think like to your point, like if his, if he was really trying to reach like and energize the people on like the little pink part all the way through to the blue side, if we think about <laughs> the gradient from blue to red, um, I think he, he probably did like the white in the middle and part of the transition and to the blue. He probably didn't quite make it into like the moderate Republican side, but maybe mm-hmm. independence and stuff. Um, yeah. But, but, but to your point, like he probably could have done a better job appealing to that group if that really was his goal. So maybe his audience and strategy were a little bit either mixed up or maybe just yeah. not the kind of the approach that, that you and I would like think is going to be the most successful in reaching you know, to energize those like middle lean Democrat people. And now it's time for a more lighthearted segment, Tips for Good. So Nathan, why do we do Tips for Good every week? Well, Michael, I'm so glad you asked because we do Tips for Good every week 
because you shook me all night long. Mm-hmm. Just all night, like every single second of the night, you, you were just shaking me. I was shaking you, yeah. And I was annoyed because like I was well, trying to sleep. And you were just, waking like, up. You just, you, so just, just, you, just, you just kept, I was trying to sleep and you just kept, you kept grabbing me. You were shaking. <laughs> I'm like, get the fuck off of me, man. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you know, like, somehow I don't night, think that's man. how that, what that song was about. <laughs> oh, it wasn't? Uh. What, what was it about then? I don't know. We'll stick with just saving your friend. Okay. Let's, <laughs> let's go with that. <laughs> Which is a good thing. Saving your friend would be a good thing. Speaking of saving our friends, Michael, uh-huh. um, what is our tip for good this week? Our tip for good this week is going to sound somewhat familiar, which is get a COVID booster. <laughs> so more specifically, COVID boosters are just now like the newest round that's going to that's targeting the current like most popular in fashionable sub variant. Um, COVID boosters for that subvariant are starting to become available right now. So our tip for good is to check the policies in your area with your local health department, check the CDC to see if there are places where you can get the booster and try to get it as soon as you can. I know I'm going to be trying to get it real soon because um, I'm traveling at the end of the month to another country and I want to be able to come home. (laughs) (laughs) So that's going to be your best protection against COVID. It's going to be the best protection for your loved ones. As this thing continues to evolve, you know, we'll have to continue to get stuck. Yeah. And it's a lot safer than injecting bleach. It is. Or COVID. Pretty much it's safer than than, uh, pretty much anything COVID-related. Yeah. And that's tips for good. So for our second segment, we are talking about Alaska and ranked choice voting. Now, you might be saying, how can Alaska have ranked choice voting if there are no people, just fish and <laughs> bears? But <laughs> but as someone who's been to Alaska, I can tell you there are indeed many people there. Really? There's, it's mostly mostly did you, not did people. You, did you meet all five of them? I met... I met like two thirds of the people, yeah. Two thirds of the yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so no, about five of them. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, pretty close. <laughs> yeah, there are not that many people, but it uh, it's you know there's definitely more like, you know, people than highways. So you can say that, <laughs> which is great. Um, so what happened, and the reason we're talking about it is, last week, Alaska completed its special election. So their previous representative don young um died uh while he was in office and he had been a representative in alaska for like 50 years or something crazy like that and so this so so there's a special election but more importantly there this is the first election to take place in alaska since they implemented a ranked choice voting system for all statewide elections uh which became law in 2020 and to the surprise of many who were not watching this election particularly closely, because again, the ratio of people to fish to bears. Um, <laughs> and, and also aso- it's a, and also it's Alaska, which is considered a like 
Yeah. I mean, what, what, the ratio of Republicans glance, to Democrats. <laughs> well, at first glance, it seems like a you know heavily Republican state. It's yeah. two Republican senators. It's been re- represented by a Republican, and it always goes to a Republican yeah. in presidential elections. So a lot of us just were not giving it a second thought. I know I wasn't. Yeah, me neither. I wasn't giving it a second thought until I got a news alert saying a Democrat just won a special House race in Alaska. And I was like, oh, cool. Wait, Wait what? what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> to be fair, Trump won Alaska. 53% to 43%. So by a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like that's a 10%. Yeah. That's a 10% difference. And and they haven't sent a democrat to congress in 50 years. Like it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um so it's a it's a heavily red state, but uh in the special election democrat Mary Peltola actually won. Yeah. And that's pretty surprising. And so we wanted to take some time to talk through that and talk through ranked choice voting um, because yeah. it's really interesting shit. Yeah. One thing that I that I kind of want to point out. Um, so I read this really interesting op-ed in the National Review, no less, mm-hmm. um, from uh, I believe this guy's name is uh, Kevin uh, Kosar. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's how you say his name. Um, and so it's National Review. So he's conservative, but he is actually defending the ranked choice voting system in Alaska. Mm, and he makes some really interesting arguments. Like, and he's clearly a Republican. Like, yeah. he is clearly a conservative. He talks about various different situations in which um, the ranked choice voting system has actually been able to allow, like, people in Nebraska and some localities in Nebraska to implement conservative policy. And he also even points out the fact that the Republican primary in Virginia is what led to the nomination of Glenn Youngkin mm-hmm. and how if they had gone with a like a crazy that he probably would have lost. They mm-hmm. probably would have lost. Yeah. So this person is arguing for ranked choice voting from the perspective of somebody who wants to see Republicans win. Yeah. Um, and he actually makes the argument that because of the way everything kind of broke down, it is not necessarily a foregone conclusion that if it were just Palin versus the Democrat, that Palin would have automatically won. I one totally of the exam- agree. One of the examples that he points to is the fact that uh, Lisa Murkowski, who's current senator from Alaska, in her in, in, in 2010, there was a Republican primary in which she actually lost the Republican primary, hmm. but she did a write-in campaign. She led a write-in campaign, and she won. She ended up winning. Which is the kind of thing you can do when there are five people voting. (laughs) Yeah, but guess what percent of the vote she got? 39.5%. Whoa, because of a spoiler. She won with 39.5%, meaning that 60% of the votes went to other candidates. Hmm. And it wasn't even a spoiler candidate. She's still a Republican. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, she's still a Republican. It didn't go to a Democrat. She's still a Republican. So it, yeah. it ended up going to her. Yeah. And that was outside of ranked choice voting, right? Also, we think of Alaska as being a heavily red state because, you know, it, it's always going red. But Republicans in Alaska are actually a little bit different than Republicans mm. in the rest of the nation, mm-hmm. people in Alaska. In fact, only 39% of people in Alaska say they identify as or lean Republican. Mm, Only 39%. 
and yet Democrats are always are, are almost always losing. So, I mean, it, it 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 certainly makes sense to think about it from the point of view of well, yes, they often vote for Republicans, but but are simply, they Republicans? But are they Republicans? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and, and that's way- the exact kind of thing that can be actually borne out and measured in ranked choice voting. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the way that the reason why it turned out the way that it turned out was because so in the initial in the initial vote tally, Peltola had forty point two percent of the vote and Sarah Palin had thirty one point two percent of the vote. Mm-hmm. Right. So Peltola was ahead. But because it's ranked choice voting, what they do is they eliminate the the person with the lowest amount of votes. All yeah. right. So these are all the first choice votes. Yeah, which in this case was Nick Beggage. Yep. And uh Nick Beggage had uh 28.5% of the votes. So yeah. just looking at that, a majority of the first votes did go to a Republican. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, enough of the Beggage votes went to Pelotola to end up bringing her over the edge. Yeah. And she ended up getting 51.5% to Palin's 48.5%. Yeah. So what this tells you is that if it were just Sarah Palin versus Pelotola, Pelotola still might have won and mm-hmm. very likely actually would have won because Sarah Palin is not popular. She's just not, even Alaska, yeah. she is super unpopular. Yeah. I mean, this is, so I think that's a really important point. Like, um together Begich and Palin the total democratic votes were 59.8%, right? But when you think about the Begich voters, 30% picked Peltola as their second choice, right? Yeah. So a minority. But 21% did not choose a second or third choice. Yeah. 11,000 votes. Right. Yeah. So what that tells you and has the ability to tell you with ranked choice voting is that these are people that turned out for Begich who yeah. wouldn't have turned out for Palin. Yeah. And so and so it's like perfectly likely that um, Palin could have lost in a typical election. Right. So like she would she did beat. So so the thing the way the primary works. Right. This was an open primary. So this would this basically meant that the top four candidates in the primary top four vote getters, regardless of party affiliation moved on to the general election. In this case, Al Gross, uh, dropped out. Um, and so there were three candidates that remained in the general election. So in a typical partisan primary, right? Palin would have beat baggage cause she got more votes in the primary than him. Right. Yeah. Um, and that would have been the end of it. And then these 11,000 voters perhaps wouldn't have turned out. I mean, they literally had the option right in front of them to say, if not Begich, Palin. Yeah. But instead, they they stayed home, essentially, for a Palin vote. And so it would have been pretty, like a very similar, likely a very similar situation. Um, And so, like, that's a really, that's really interesting. That's like all, that's information that we could have, we could have, we, we could never have seen never have understood without ranked choice voting. Also consider the fact that Sarah Palin in Alaska has a 60% disapproval rating. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I mean, it's kind of hard to win any election with that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, to me, it's, it's just so clear that Palin 
was a bad candidate, which is like so. What's what's really it's really interesting, right? To see, yeah, um, the fact that when in so in a typical election, a a underperforming candidate of a similar party would be a spoiler, right? Yeah. You'd, if you had a third-party candidate, their views are very similar. Say, Begich would be a third-party candidate. His views are very similar to Palin. Um, and as a result of those similar views, he would have pulled people away from Palin that might have turned out for her, and that would be a spoiler, right? Or yeah. we would assume that that would be a spoiler. What's interesting about ranked-choice voting is that it reverses that, yeah. where you can still have spoiler candidates, but they're the front-runners, Right. Yeah. If a front running candidate pisses people off so yeah. much that they refuse to choose them as their second choice, then that partisan lead can go away. And that's yeah. a feature, not a bug that enables you to say, I'm still going to vote in this election for someone that I think has a chance of winning. And I'm not going to vote for someone who I would never accept yeah. as as my leader, which is which is makes it really ironic all we've been saying makes it really ironic that like Palin is now calling for Begich to drop out of the election in November. Right. So like as a reminder for people, you know, this was a special election. There's going to be basically the same exact election in November with the three same candidates, unless something changes going head to head again in November. And Palin is calling for Begich to withdraw. Which so, is really interesting, so considering be, that she would probably lose. Yeah. So to be clear, um, Begich's supporters hated you so much <laughs> that they would rather have either a Democrat or nobody than you. So your solution to that is to shit on him. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's the thing. That's a bold strategy, <laughs> Cotton. That's the thing. <laughs> Voters had that exact choice in front of them already. They could have made it with the movement yeah. of their pencil. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they re- and they didn't. And yeah. that's very, very telling. And on top of that, it also encourages something that we actually talked about in the last segment, which is the fact that it disincentivizes you to demonize the supporters of your opponent. Yeah. Like, you don't you're not going to get anywhere in a ranked choice voting system Mm -hmm. if potentially the second choice of another candidate despises you so much because you're always talking shit about them you know this goes back to the idea of talk about the elected officials and not necessarily the voters yeah because if you are able to court some of those voters or get some of those voters to like you try to have broad appeal and get them to like you convince them that the policies you as the second as the second choice. Yeah. It, it incentivizes discussing policy instead of the candidates because yeah. you don't want to be such an asshole to the candidate that people that are passionate about them don't put you down as their second choice, especially yeah. when your policies are similar. This is yeah. this is actually a point that John Cogill, a, a former Republican state senator in, in Alaska who ran in the special election primary, made. Um, and he was essentially attributing Peltola's win to the fact that, that Palin and Begich we're going after each other. He yeah. said, quote, they started taking shots at each other and the supporters of one would not dare to vote for the other Republican because of yeah. so many crosswords. Yeah. Um, Which is interesting because Pelotola and Palin did not actually go yeah. after each other that much. Yeah. Like, 
you know, Palin actually said like, hey, Pelotola is a sweet, uh, she's a sweet lady. Mm -hmm. And and Pelotola is like, yeah, I mean, where I come from, we don't really say nasty things to each other. So I'm not going to say nasty things to Palin. Yeah, totally. And and instead, Palin went after, again, went after Begich, which ended up alienating his supporters. Yeah, so totally. Something like this means that you are incentivized to focus on policy. Yeah. And that's how it should be. Yeah, it's great. And like, and like, in a world where you assume that, you know, if, if we if we put this on like a typical sliding scale of extremism, if Palin is more extreme than baggage, and so we would assume that the Venn diagram is such that all of her supporters would be baggage supporters, but not all of baggage supporters would be Palin supporters, which yeah. we only know one to be true, right? We only know that not all baggage supporters are Palin supporters. But if we assume that, that Palin supporters would vote baggage otherwise... Um, then it also pushes towards, you know, potentially more moderate-ish candidates, candidates that are more in line with generally accepted things yeah. rather than just yeah. being a terrible candidate. Which, by the way, when we say moderate, again, we talk, we're talking about moderate in terms of, like, where the public is. The viewpoint, which yeah, exactly. would actually mean that issues like Medicare for All, mm-hmm. which are popular, or issues like free college tuition or issues like raising the minimum wage would end up floating more to the top because those are more popular things. And the best part of this is the fact that it limits the power of the two party system. Yeah. Because the biggest reason why there's so much polarization is because of the two party system. Mm -hmm. It's because people really do get to the point where if you only have two choices Mm -hmm. that, that are mutually exclusive, then you almost have to, fall in line with people even if you don't like them to prevent something worse but if you have multiple choices that two-party system loses its power Mm -hmm. so and i think that that right there is the main argument that advocates for ranked choice voting should make to the general public Mm -hmm. because i mean we've seen this time and time again almost every single person that i have ever talked to democrat or republican hate the two-party system Mm -hmm. like literally in in george washington's farewell address (laughs) he warned us against the two-party system like he literally was just like hey y'all whatever you do don't create a two-party system (laughs) because it's gonna fuck shit up and we spent a lot of time building this country and you're gonna fuck it up if you make a two-party system and i feel like if you were to come back today, like first thing you'd be like is, okay, so what was the one thing that I warned you did not to do? <laughs> Create a two-party system. Right. Yeah. yeah. And what did you do? Mm. Created a two-party system. Yeah, instantly. <laughs> instantly. <laughs> In the very next election. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he was not cold in the ground <laughs> when they created a two-party system. And like, to be fair, like it's not like they could have chosen. They, yeah. So that's not exactly true. It's not like they could have chosen with a first-past-the-post system. We've talked about this before. Yeah. It is just logically required that yeah. a first-past-the-post system results in two predominant parties Yeah. that shift and devolve and are weird over time. Yeah. Regardless yeah. of public opinion. Which that also is an argument for abolishing the Electoral College. Mm-hmm. So again, if you are trying to argue for ranked choice voting and or abolishing the Electoral College, 
the argument that you need to be making to people that might actually appeal to Republicans, because Republicans are against abolishing the Electoral College because like, you know, or at least Republican voters are against it, mostly because it makes it harder for Republicans to win. Yeah. But the thing is, even a lot of those Republican voters are against the two-party system and would mm -hmm. love other options. So never, ever frame it as you do this and Democrats win. You yeah. do ranked choice voting, Democrats yeah, win. Seriously. Never frame it that way. It's never. It's always because, democracy needs to work better. Yeah, democracy needs to work better. And this will get rid of the two-party system, will get rid of two-party control over, over Washington. Mm -hmm. And... The nice thing about that framing is that you are going to have Republicans and Democrats who are elected who are going to be super against it because they don't want to lose the two-party system. Mm -hmm. The two-party system gives them an excuse to suck, yeah. like to be terrible, Yeah, because all they need to do is make their supporters believe that they're not as bad as the other people. Totally. And they'll they'll vote for them. So this isn't like not having ranked choice voting, not having... Like and having the electoral college is basically an excuse for the two parties yeah. to just be lazy and to be shit. Yeah, totally. That's that's the other thing. Like this is a state issue, yeah. which is really exciting. Like that's why I made a caveat that like the, they they had to create a two party system right away after George Washington like uh, left office, which they, they didn't really actually because it's up to the states how they allocate their. Uh, votes to elected representative, representatives, even in the executive branch. So specifically for something like the Electoral College, like the states can determine how those votes are allocated. So like to Nathan's point, like you could do both. You could abolish the Electoral College and implement ranked choice voting. But you could also just implement ranked choice voting if you weren't trying to, do, you know, do the harder, more impactful, more important thing for the presidential election. Um, yeah. But in, at the very least, like ranked choice voting would be a better way to represent people's true like yeah. beliefs about the system. Cause like, yeah. yeah. So like one, one, so there's been a bunch of criticisms, obviously Palin and Begich and some other conservatives in Alaska were really pissed. They were calling the system convoluted and Palin called it cockamamie and untrustworthy and crazy and confusing, which is funny because like the confusing thing like the Alaskans for Better Elections, which is an advocacy group for ranked choice voting, shows that 85% of voters yeah. said the process was simple. So yeah. if it's confusing to you, Palin, maybe it's a good thing you didn't win. Um, <laughs> but Ooh, uh, I don't know how to use a pen, though. <laughs> I mean, it is confusing if, if it's confusing to have to know about the candidates and choose which one you like best i didn't know how best. to research sarah palin's website <laughs> it was so hard that's actually it was really so difficult <laughs> that's really good i had to type on keys <laughs> and there were no mooses for me to hunt <laughs> and and so tom cotton called the called it um ranked choice voting is voting is a scam to rig elections which is hilarious and weird trump said you never know who won in ranked choice you could be in third place, and they announced that you you won the election. It's to, it's a total rigged deal. Literally no. Yeah. Though. Literally like, no. Literally no. <laughs> yeah. That's not how it fucking works. And in in the National View, the same same one that published the article that you mentioned, the same publication, um, Jim Gaggety, uh called it a quote legitimate electoral system that doesn't make sense. And I kind of want to tackle that last one because his point there is intuitively appealing. 
right? And he's basically making the point that me- that Nathan mentioned earlier, where Republicans, well, it, it, it's a slightly different point. Um, he's making the point that um, the Democrat in this case finished fourth in the primary and ended up winning the general, right? That's really interesting, right? And super counterintuitive, even more counterintuitive than like, hey, the the Republicans won 60% of the vote, but they ended up losing the general. Like even more counterintuitive. But there were a bunch of other candidates that would have voted for somebody else other than her. Exactly. And they decided to vote for her in the ranked choice voting. Exactly. It's counterintuitive only when you're stuck in the mindset of one vote is a use it or lose it choice. Also, also when you're stuck in the mindset of like party versus party. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. And certainly that's certainly that supports both like the 60% equals, you know, 60% total votes equals, you know, beating Republicans, even though that's just not how it worked. And both, both the counter arguments for both come from the same place, which is that, um, you have kind of a choice, which is to either reflect people's actual preferences or to reflect their like actual like fears, right? And so like given that there's only one winner, you can choose what the best way to choose the winner is. So is would you rather so personally I'd rather pick the one that is most preferred by the most people yeah. rather than the one that is that is uh, rather than voting against the one that's least preferred. Yeah. In this case, Palin was clearly the least preferred. So it would have turned out the same way (laughs) anyway. But like what the big advantage of ranked choice voting is that you don't just get to say, I want baggage to win. You get to say, I would prefer baggage to Palin, Palin to Paltoa. And if I can't have my first choice, I'll take my second. And if I can't have my yeah. second, I'll take my third. Yeah. And like, that's a really great way to reflect <laughs> what people actually, what each individual yeah. actually believes is the best thing. Yeah. And also, I mean, Sarah Palin is basically treating this as a power fantasy now, because <laughs> here's the thing. I, I'm actually, I just noticed this on the national review um sarah palin instructed supporters not to rank candidates so just think about what that means for a second all right that's such a bad idea what she is saying basically is if it's not me it's a democrat yeah like that's what she's saying because because what that means is that if she gets eliminated if she is not one of the top two candidates she wants her supporters to just not list anybody else yeah which means that it's just first past the post it's just first past the post. But the thing is, you have, you already have like so-called Republican votes divided between two people. So why would you do that? Yep. I mean, it's... It's just spite. <laughs> it, it's just spite. It's a spite. It's a power fantasy. Yep. Sarah Palin is a terrible candidate. She'd be a terrible representative. She was a terrible governor. She was a terrible vice presidential candidate. Like, and I mean... And ranked choice voting probably would not have made a difference, but ultimately it does allow people to participate in a way that is more honest to like what they actually believe and actually gets their point across 
and hopefully will be the key to destroying this archaic two-party system that we have. And now it's time for our favorite segment, Asshat of of the the Week. week. So, Nathan, who is our asshat this week? Well, Michael, our asshat this week is another ass that keeps on hatting. Oh, good. It's uh, Senator Ted Cruz. Ooh, Teddy Cruz. Come on down. A.K.A. the Zodiac Killer. (laughs) 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 So what did he do this time to get on our show? So... You know how Joe Biden decided to forgive the student loans of 40 million people? Yeah, I do. Like, it was forgive awesome. t- at least at least 20,000 for Pell Grants and uh, and 10,000 for regulars. Yeah. Um Ted Cruz doesn't like that. Hmm. Which, you know, okay, yeah. that's fine. We yeah, always knew he was I an asshole. I feel like that shouldn't make him an asshat. I mean, it's like it's not a politically popular position. It's kind of in, but we'd have to make too many people an asshat. Yeah, yeah, everybody would be an asshat. Except Uh-oh. for the fact that he is actually planning to sue the Biden administration to block it. Ominous organ. Ha-ha! And he told the Washington <laughs> Post specifically that he was brainstorming ideas because the biggest struggle right now and he had fucking admitted this. He fucking admitted this. <laughs> the biggest struggle right now is finding a plaintiff because it's hard to prove damages. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this is almost a D-bag. <laughs> yeah, it's like, almost a D-bag. Oh, my like, God. Like, he's saying that it's going to be... He, he, he wants to sue the Biden administration, but it's hard to do that because he can't... Like, he's having trouble finding someone that's actually hurt No by one's this. been hurt. No one's actually fucking been hurt by it. Man, <laughs> a suit without a plaintiff. Yeah. That's a new one. He's, That's I, he's, so funny. He's grasping at straws here, basically. Yeah. And and again, his he keeps trying to say like, oh, this is illegal. This is illegal. This is, if you can't even find a fucking plaintiff, if you're trying to find like legal minutia in order to make it happen, then you know that it's not a law thing. It's just a you thing. You're against it. Yeah. You don't want 40 million people to have financial relief. And yeah. the fact that you would go this fucking far to fuck over 40 million people, all right, because you think that some of them are baristas that studied feminism in college is just so spiteful. I know. It's so disgusting. <laughs> what, would, like, would, what would the damage even be? Like, I didn't qualify for the thing so i didn't get the benefit that i wish that i had gotten that's that's not damaging it's not damaging <laughs> so if right. i can't have my cake no one gets cake <laughs> exactly which you know i think there's a simple solution to that just mm. forgive all student loan debt i'm gonna you sue you nathan <laughs> i'm gonna sue you <laughs> like jesus christ imagine being that much of a miserable son of a bitch seriously which by the way those the the miserable son of bitch line that that actually wasn't my those aren't my words that's john boehner's words whoa yeah john boehner actually after he retired he referred to ted cruz he he was like i've never met such a miserable son of a bitch (laughs) his own colleagues don't even like him (laughs) well like the people he's he's, slimy worm man yeah (laughs) god (laughs) i i just he he is so horrible i I think i can't believe it i think he might be one of the worst like, yeah. like, I just, ugh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I mean, he's terrible with policies. He's terrible. Like, I, the thing is, I mean, 
it goes back to the point that I keep making over and over again, which is because 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 he's doing this because specifically because he said that Biden did this as an electoral strategy because he wants those people to vote for him. He's specifically doing this despite the people that are more likely to vote for Republic or that are more likely to vote for vote for Democrats, to which I would say, have you ever entered the idea into that slimy worm infested brain of yours that maybe just maybe the reason why these people don't vote for you is because you do shit like this is because <laughs> you actively try to make their life worse have you ever thought that that could be a possibility teddy mm -hmm. so congratulations to <laughs> teddy the zodiac killer cancun cruise for being this week's ass hat of, of the, the week, week. So our third segment, as we mentioned, is a segment of uh, the Perspectrum After Hours, which is uh, our um, recording of our post-podcast conversations that we have every week, uh, which often talk delve deeper into the issues that we talked about in the episode, as we did here. So we talked about um, things like, uh, you know, arguments about student loan forgiveness, what worked or hasn't worked in our own lives when talking to the people that we disagree with about this subject. Uh, we talk about how to make these arguments appealing and how um, to reach the people in your lives that, that may disagree with you. Um, so it should be a really great conversation as they usually are. And if you want more conversations like this, you can head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the perspectrum. Um, throw us as little as a dollar a month and get access to every single episode of the perspectrum after hours. So without any further ado, the perspectrum after hours. Bam. That was a fun episode. Yeah. Man. I think those first two segments were real tight. I loved those first two segments. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> me too. Especially um, like after having the conversation with my mom last week about student debt forgiveness. Apparently Taylor also had a conversation with her about it. Oh, interesting. Um, and just like hearing so many of those arguments so yeah. earnestly yeah. believed. And like... At the time, I was able to make pretty good counter arguments. I think I didn't do any convincing because it's you know convincing people is a slow and yeah. careful process. But um, but uh, yeah, you know, being able to make those arguments even more informed and even more forceful, it's like yeah, really great, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, as much as I do like having those discussions, you know, those 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 arguments face to face sometimes it is kind of nice to just like get to finish a thought <laughs> get to get to finish a thought but also like in in the context of um of when we're doing the pod mm -hmm. it's kind of nice to be talking to somebody who is on the same page yeah and like also thinks very similarly and also kind of has the same like theoretical approach of mm -hmm. uh you know it's it's solutions based you know it's yeah. not cuz i feel like i feel like there are a lot of people that probably just don't like this because biden did it mm -hmm. i mean 
I, I, I'm, I'm sure that the arguments, a lot of the arguments that Republicans are making are arguments that I know that they don't actually care about. Like the argument yeah. of this only helps rich people. I know yeah, that elected Republicans care don't care. Like they love programs that only help rich people. They do yeah. them all the time. Yeah. Like that's, I, we know that that's a disingenuous argument. So the only reason why they're doing it is because it helps the working class, but also because they know that something like this is going to help Biden. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But like the, the natural conclusion of that then is like, it's, it's the same thing that we said when it came to, when it came to marriage equality, mm -hmm. right? It's like, if your argument is, if this passes, you know, it's going to result in you becoming more popular and you being able to portray us as the bad guys, then don't be the fucking bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's interesting, like, because so many of the arguments from like people like Ted Cruz are so clearly in bad faith. Yeah. But when, you know, you talk to like, not you talk to your parents, when I talk to my parents about it, these are things that they're really worried about. Like they're yeah. really worried about like the idea of fairness and like taking advantage of people that have money and have not just have money, but people that have like paid down their student loans and are still, you know, struggling. They don't have extra money to give towards someone else's student loans and stuff like that. And they don't, and they're honestly worried about, you know, like the fact that it doesn't solve the root cause problem of increasing costs of college and like, and, and, and I agree with that, but sure. the, you know, the, the, the thing that would solve that problem is something that elected Republicans are against. Yeah. Which is tuition-free yeah. college and trade school. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, um, and you know, you know, I, I, I love your parents and I think that I, I really do think that they do come from a genuine place. Like I, yeah. I I've always, yeah, I've, sure. I've always thought that they come from a genuine place. They are, you know, they're incredibly wonderful people and they're not malicious whatsoever. And I, and sure. I think that, and I think that they're probably a good, a good kind of case study <laughs> in, or, or maybe not case study. Republicans that deserve like good credit. <laughs> good well, 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 I was going to say, example of why i try so hard mm -hmm. on the show to like distinguish between elected republicans and republican voters yeah for sure because i just i know way too many republican voters i love way too many republican voters mm -hmm. to just put them all in a basket of deplorables you know yeah. like yeah, I, I totally agree like are like, some of them yeah are some of them that I know. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's just a lot of it comes down to the fact that what a lot of Republican voters are hearing over and over again are repeated messages that are bad faith, but when they're repeated over and over again, eventually they enter within the Overton window. Yeah. And it becomes an acceptable position to hold, mm -hmm. you know, and even and even a desirable position to hold. Yeah, I mean, I think I think from my parents, they're they're a good example of like <clears throat> kind of old school conservatives where yeah. they just are highly skeptical of government yeah. activity and action, and they yeah. just don't think that it's ever 
Yeah. I mean, it's weirdly aligned with some of the things on this show. They just like, they think yeah. it's like corrupt and not in the interest of people. And like, yeah, ultimately it's like people just trying to get and hold on to power and, and, you know, redistribute wealth yeah. from people that can't afford it to other people that they want to give it to in order to get votes and things yeah. like that. And like, and all that's the, correct. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, exactly. And so it's the kind of argument that's like, you know, when I'm, when I made the argument to them that like, Hey, actually like the inflation reduction act funds, um, this like student debt forgiveness, my mom's first reaction, having of course not heard anything about the fact that the Inflation Reduction Act reduces the deficit because that's not part of her news cycle because she's, you know, listens to conservative news and that's actually a good thing that that Democrats did even in conservative circles. So she was totally unaware that that was the case, and they were literally flabbergasted. They were like, "Wait, so this is new money? This is actually like yeah. money that we're getting for the first time?" I was like, "Yeah." God. And her first, my mom's first reaction was, "Yeah, but that hurts small businesses." I was like, no, how? Like, like, how? no, it, it actually doesn't even apply to businesses. At the time I quoted, I think $250 million in revenue. It's actually a billion, a billion dollars in revenue, which is like top 100, 150 or something revenue earners in the US is like the cutoff for the people that <laughs> this applies to. And, and even then it's a minimum tax rate. And so when I described these things to her, she was like, oh my God, like that's actually... Like really, she didn't yeah. say like, that's really good policy, but she stopped kind of arguing against it at all and kind of pivoted to a different issue. Yeah. But it was like, clearly like a, oh, like, wow, that's actually like, yeah, a pretty well thought out way to potentially do that. Yeah. I mean, the way that you, the way that you have these conversations with good faith people. It's uploaded, by the way. Yeah, I got it. With good faith, faith people that have a that have like a potentially more conservative ideology is first off you can never paint them as the bad guy yeah all right and you can no one thinks never, that they're the bad guy no one thinks that they're the bad guy but here here's here's the thing the one of the biggest things that keeps people from changing their mind mm -hmm. is the fact that there's this there's this tendency for people to internalize their ideology yeah. as a part of their identity. Yep. And if you tell them that their ideology, if you, if you try to drag them in and say like, what you think is evil is mm -hmm. bad. And yeah. the only way that you can vote for us is if you, you know, is if you distance yourself from that ide ideology, admit that you're evil, admit yeah. that you're bad so that then you can come over to our side you're not going to change people's mind. You're not going to have people come over. What you need to do is you need to focus on areas that you know that you can agree on, show the ways in which your ideologies could still be compatible, which again, the big thing that a lot of conservatives care about is limited government and limited mm -hmm. intrusion of the government <clears throat> into our lives. That's something that we talk about on the show all the time. The fact yeah. that the Democratic Party has yeah. not co-opted the language of limited government is yeah. just stupid. Like it's it's, it's right there. It's dangling in front of you. <laughs> Grab it. And every time a Republican says it, point out all of the ways in which they're like anti-free speech, like anti-protest, yeah. um, fucking like pro a militarized police force mm -hmm. against ending the war on drugs. Yeah. None of that. None of that 
is limited government. Yeah. None of that shit is limited government. So point that out, you know, in, in your strategies. But when you're talking to conservatives, some conservative voters, what you do is you focus on the whole, well, you don't have to change because mm -hmm. a lot of them, they yeah. recognize that income inequality is bad sure. and they recognize that the government's corrupt. Mm -hmm. So you need to frame it in a way that they don't have to change. You don't have to change. But here's some new information. Yeah. You actually might you already haven't agree. changed. The information has changed. Yeah. So like, like for example, your mother, you know, you're, you know, in the example you gave, your mother values small businesses. You value small businesses. This helps small businesses. Yeah. Your mother values deficit neutrality or even deficit reduction. This is deficit reduction. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to change your values. The information has changed. If yeah. you were presented with information that said that this would explode the deficit, this would destroy small businesses, sure. that this is only helping rich people. I wouldn't be people, into it. <laughs> of course you wouldn't be into it. Of yeah. course you wouldn't support it. No reasonable person would support it. But there's additional information mm -hmm. that doesn't change you. Yeah. Like you are still a good person. Your values are still the same. Your values yeah. are still the same. And your values might even be okay. Like we might have disagreements in what we value, but at the end of the day, there are a lot of compatible values that are compatible with this specific thing. Mm -hmm. You yeah. don't change the yeah. The other stuff changes. It was a so cool it is working. glimmer though, I will say last thing is that at one point I was like, well, this adds taxes to business, like to large corporations. And I was expecting like, well, why is that fair? Cause like, that's a very, that would have been a very common thing to have heard back in like, you know, when I was before college or whatever. And my mom was straight up like, yeah, I was, I think it'd be great to tax large corporations. <laughs> I was like, this is progress. Yeah. Cause like I've worked a lot on that. Like, Hey, actually like, it's not that we're taking advantage of large corporations. It's not that we're taking advantage of the wealthy. It's that they're not actually contributing their fair share. And the yeah. fact that that's clearly starting to gain traction, that is a huge win. That's yeah. a good reason to keep going. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Nice. All right. That probably could have just been a segment right there. Yeah. <laughs> that was good shit. Well, we haven't recorded. We could literally record a yeah. low quality. All right. All right. Well, peace. Much love, bro. Yep. Peace too. And now we will end our show as we usually do with our highlights. So, Nathan, what's your highlight this week? My highlight this week is that. I feel much more settled into my routine again. Mm. Like I, for for the first week that I was uh um that I was doing stuff that I was uh that I was that doing stuff well. Wow. Uh for the first week <laughs> articulate speech coach. <laughs> it's been a long week. I know, uh, for the I know. for the first week I was feeling a lot of imposter syndrome and mm. I just feel like I'm getting back into the swing of things with it. Also, uh it is my lovely wife's birthday. Whoa. This week. And uh, we are going to be, so it's a little preemptively, uh, but we're going to be celebrating that on Friday. So I'm really excited about that. Sweet. Well, say happy birthday to Jess for me. I will. I will. So. What about you, Mike? What's your, uh, what's your highlight? My highlight, I think, was this past weekend. I got to see Taylor. I got to see Chris. I, actually, for the first time in a very, very long time, all of the Bloom brothers got together. Uh, which was mm. just super special and wonderful. Um, I also squeezed in time with Bree's side of the family, went to a baby shower for uh, our new nephew who's on the way on that side. Um, so yeah, things are things are great. It was a really nice long weekend and uh, meant for a short week as well, which is great. Nice, nice. Go ahead. 
Haven't haven't all of the Bloom Boys been on the pod before? I think all except Dan. I don't think Dan's ever been on. I've offered it to him more than once. So Dan, if you're listening to this, we should yeah. find a time to get you on the pod. My brother's been on. Yeah, exactly. You know? We've extended so like, it to that our would mean, that really would mean intelligent all of the family. brothers have been on. Yeah, yeah, that'd be really cool. Yeah. And so now we'll thank our incredible patrons for making this show possible. So thank you to Jerry DeViller, Kyle Chaska, Fade Out Scoop, Taylor Bloom, and Tobias Janssen. And to you, dear listener, thanks for listening to The Perspectrum, and you'll hear from us again next week. 